Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and today I want to talk a little bit about the first war on drugs that began in 1971 under Richard Nixon, uh, the same year that um, another momentous decision uh, by Nixon took place, um, the removal of America from the gold standard and the um, decision really to make the US dollar fiat money, which I'll I'll come back to in a moment, because both the war on drugs and the removal of America from the gold standard have had massive implications, global implications for um, the way the world is today. Now, those of you who are listening who remember the 1980s uh, remember probably uh, the second war on drugs, Um, the war on drugs that was um, uh, pursued by American President Ronald Reagan um, from the the mid-1980s onwards. But it was a policy that had um, a serious serious pedigree. Um, So let's go back to 1971 and see what it was that made Nixon uh, begin this uh, policy, which, um, it's fair to say, um, four decades later has been an unmitigated disaster in every conceivable manner. Nixon wins the presidential election in 1968 um, on the back of a a rising sense that um, America has spiralled out of control. The lurid tales of um, sex and drugs, uh, which really kind of concentrate to a a tiny bohemian Hollywood elite, Um, and the um, crisis in Vietnam, where a what appeared to be a fairly small localized war against a a peasant nation had uh, dragged five hundred thousand American troops into a never ending quagmire by nineteen sixty eight both gave um, Nixon an ideal uh, platform to campaign from also the uh, fortunately for Nixon less so from Bob for Bobby Kennedy the the assassination of um, Bobby um, and the loss of the only main uh, realistic democratic um, challenger to Nixon um, uh, meant that his 
um, path to the White House was a lot easier in 68. The, the presidential election at the end of that year, um, in, in that election, uh, Nixon spoke to um, what he called the silent majority, the um, conservative with a small c, um, working class and middle class Americans who were uh, appalled by the disorder within the country that they were seeing, the um, rioting at the Democratic National Convention, um, the uh, growth in crime in inner cities, and drugs and drug use was attributed to this. Obviously, you have a, a kind of a, a developing counterculture, um, of which LSD is uh, an important part, and a, a drug culture um, that had been growing since the 1950s, uh, but sort of dramatically increases, uh, largely probably for demographic reasons in the um, uh, the mid-1960s. You have a large young population with more uh, spare income than it's ever had before. Um, that's not to suggest that everybody who was uh, under 18 and had some money in their pocket was out buying drugs. Far from it. The um, supply of narcotics in America in the 1960s is relatively conservative. Most people in the 1960s don't experience, uh, don't smoke any marijuana. They don't take LSD. The as with all these things, the the people who uh, inhabit a counterculture are normally a very small minority. The same can be said of Britain in the 1960s. Most parents, most people's experience of both Britain and America in the 1960s you'll probably find is extremely boring. But it's the perception that matters. The perception that America was becoming more lawless, that um, drugs were part of the problem. Um, And drugs often, um, moral panics like drugs, are often kind of code for something else. They're often code for social change. Um, as uh, black Americans became uh, more empowered throughout the 1960s due to civil rights legislation and as a young a younger generation began to take the place of the older one that had replaced it, the, um, the natural sense of conservatism, uh, again with a small c that exists within probably most people, um, saw this as uh, you know, a frightening, threatening and unprecedented change and the issue of drugs which starts to be spoken about more and more in the press throughout the 1960s becomes a, a focal point for this moral panic uh, and anxiety is it LSD that is changing the youth of America making them think these largely un-American things um, at the time of the Second World War um, you know, many people in their 40s and 50s who have perhaps served in the Second World War would have found it um, ab- abhorrent, the idea that uh, large numbers of their countrymen were protesting against the war while they were off serving it. Um, the generation who had returned from the war, who had been the beneficiaries of the GI Bill, who had uh, set up homes after 1945 or small businesses or become educated uh, and had seen the war as, as the good war, now, um, 25 years later, uh, are indignant and outraged that there are um, what is seen as being privileged and spoiled middle-class brats 
um, campaigning to undermine the efforts of GIs fighting in Vietnam. And so there's definitely a kind of a class element to all of this, something that Nixon happily fostered. Nixon himself, who presented himself as this hard-done-by blue-collar Joe who had risen through his own talents and successes, which is, you know, largely the case, um, and had to put up with the supercilious and arrogant Kennedy brothers who had every privilege handed to them, he was happy to kind of project this um, onto a, a national stage and present the uh, college uh, graduates who had protested against the, the Vietnam War and the students as layabouts and bums, I think this is the term he uses after the Kent State shooting in 1970. Uh, these layabouts and bums... Um, who do they think they are? And this was this, this chimed with uh, blue collar America, who did these um, who did these entitled children think they were? And again, there is the suspicion across blue co- blue collar America that it was the the children of the wealthy, the uh, overeducated um, middle classes who were taking LSD and smoking marijuana and, you know, experimenting with all sorts of new and un-American ideas. And so you get this fusion of politics um, and the the idea of the drug together as a kind of, um, a sort of like an emblem for for that which is un-American, uh, and certainly to an older, more conservative generation, taking LSD um, is seen as distinctly un-American or alien. And this is where you get a kind of ripe territory for anti-drugs legislation. Now, it's often been said that um, anti-drugs legislation that had been introduced in piecemeal fashion since the uh, 19th century had its own racial biases, and there's probably an awful lot to this, that... Uh, opium, the drug of Chinese labourers working on the transcontinental railroads. Um, this was banned when there were moral panics about the Chinese, which were basically uh, motivated by um, fears that uh, cheaper Chinese labour would take, um, you know, white American jobs. The uh, Jim Crow laws contained laws against the use of cocaine, partly because cocaine in the 1900s was synonymous with black Americans in the South, Um, though it seems highly unlikely that it was contained and limited to them. Um, Marijuana and cannabis use was uh, criminalised because of xenophobic attitudes towards um, Mexican and Hispanic Americans. But up to the um, 1960s, these are drugs that are not policed with the kind of the fervour that they are in the 70s and, and 80s. There are people who are a a small, tiny minority of people who are known to have um, addiction to things like cocaine or or morphine. Um, There is little understanding uh, of how to treat these um, addictions. Um, For those that have lots of money, um, often psychoanalysis was used, but then again, psychoanalysis was the... um, 
uh, seen as the, the kind of the received wisdom of the day. Um, it probably had uh, very little value in terms of actually uh, treating addiction. and There's a, a good reason why psychoanalysis isn't used um, as the, the kind of the, the, the dominant um, tool for addiction treatment today. Now, the issue of the war on drugs kind of revived itself this year in, in March, that's 2016, um, when uh, a journalist, Dan Baum, for Harper's, uh, interviewed uh, John Ehrlichman from um, Nixon's staff at the time. And Ehrlichman had some um, revealing stuff to say. He said, the Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. Um, this was um, John Ehrlichman, who's the domestic policy chief for, for Nixon. Uh, he goes on to add in the article, you understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and the blacks with heroin, and then criminalising both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. Um, Ehrlichman added, we could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. And this is consistent with much of Nixon's thinking, um, this highly paranoid uh, individual who took things incredibly personally. I know it sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? Um, Who saw... Uh, criticism of the Vietnam War is personal criticism of his policy, uh, which, you know, much of it was, the secret bombing of Cambodia and that kind of thing, uh, and saw the, in, particularly in the black power movement, not necessarily the civil rights movement, because that was quite easy to contain, but the black power movement, uh, a, a deadly existential threat to him and his presidency. So he had his enemies lists drawn up where... You know, the likes of uh, Noam Chomsky, for example, uh, was, was there. His, uh, he had this kind of hatred of um, the what he viewed as the liberal media. Again, um, seeing himself as this kind of persecuted, um, blue-collar guy, done good, um, sneered at by uh, liberal elitists everywhere. Um, and he was happy to find find ways to undermine his enemies. Obviously, one clearly being, you know, against the Democratic Party, um, the water, booking of the Watergate Hotel. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But 
the war on drugs is another part of this kind of Nixon worldview. And the, the consequences of his decisions in 1971 have been quite literally world-altering. The, the war on drugs that was fought throughout the 1970s, 80s and 90s, and is still being fought, has cut a bloody swathe of you know, countless, countless lives in South America. Um, I, I'm not sure a full study of the, the death toll of the, um, the war on drugs has been concluded, but if you even look at American intervention in Colombia, for example, um, you're, you're looking in, in the tens of thousands of dead uh, in the, uh, the wars in the 1980s between the American government, the Colombian government on one hand, and the Medellin cartel uh, on the other. Now, here is a revealing um, statement from Nixon in 1969. He said, Within the last decade, the abuse of drugs has grown from essentially a local police problem into a serious national threat to the personal health and safety of millions of Americans. A national awareness of the gravity of the situation is needed. A new urgency and concerted national policy are needed at the federal level to begin to cope with this growing menace to the general welfare of the United States. Between the years 1960 and 1967, juvenile arrests involving the drug use of drugs rose by almost 800%. Half of those now being arrested for the illicit use of narcotics are under 21 years of age. New York alone has records of some 40,000 heroin addicts, and the number rises between 7,000 and 9,000 a year. These official statistics are only the tip of the iceberg, whose dimensions we can only surmise. Now, bear in mind what Ehrlichman had to say, that Nixon knew full well that many of the things he was saying about drugs were not true. The, F, the, the, the reliability of this data, well, um, it will take a, a researcher with more time than me to figure that one out. But um, it's entirely possible that these are not valid statistics. But we won't we won't go there. So he he then goes on to speak at length about in quite a um, ill informed manner um, about the um, the impact of of drug addiction. Um, uh, he says it has commonly it has been a common oversimplification to consider narcotics addiction or drug abuse to be a law enforcement problem alone. Effective control of illicit drugs requires the cooperation of many agencies of the federal and local state governments. It's beyond the province of any one of them. At federal level, the burden of the national effort must be carried out by the Departments of Justice, Health, Education and Welfare and the Treasury. In 1972, it was recommended by the um, Congressional Commission on Drugs that marijuana be uh, decriminalised, or at least personal uh, possession, personal uh, use of marijuana um, be uh, decriminalised um, because of the really kind of trivial, u- trivial uh, harm um, that's associated with it, almost none whatsoever, really. Um, and 11 states between 73 and 77 decriminalised marijuana. 
1977, uh, Jimmy Carter uh, ran on a platform which partly involved uh, the decriminalisation of marijuana as well. But something curious happens during the the 1980s, really. Um, the the kind of the, the the culture war in America um, that the 60s seems to have um, given birth to uh, enters a, a new phase. Um, the 1970s are seen generally as a particularly bad time in America, a time of economic and social crisis, a time of foreign policy defeat and failure. And the gener- the decade beforehand, the 1960s, are, uh, by the Conservative right, blamed for this. Um, and so in 1980, when Ronald Reagan is elected, taking office in 1981 promising morning in America, you know, a new, a new dawn, a new start for, for, uh, for America. Um, the figure who embodies the kind of the anti-60s backlash is, uh, steps into, into power. And with him, it's, you know, you can't just simply say it was all Ronald Reagan. I mean, that doesn't, doesn't make sense. Um, but an entire generation of people who, have turned their backs on what they what they perceive to be the nineteen sixties. Nineteen sixties are as a, you know as a, as a decade it can, can be many things, but they they perceive it to have been the kind of the chaos and disorder of the Woodstock generation. Are perfectly happy when uh, Reagan launches his own war on drugs. So the uh, the nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties see a huge increase in car- in incarceration. Um, because of dramatically uh, dramatic new fronts opening up in the war on drugs, um, for non-violent drug offenders, uh, there were fifty thousand in jail in nineteen eighty and four hundred thousand in nineteen ninety-seven. Um, the uh, there are kind of all sorts of alarmist um, alarmist media visions of drug users. Um, the you know, the president's wife Nancy Reagan. As all first ladies do, had her own cause. It was the that of the uh, the anti-drugs movement. It chimed very nicely with the Christian conservative right who supported Reagan and who voted for him in large numbers. Um, and it was it could be um, um, incorporated into a wider uh, conversation on public morality. Um, she has a just say no campaign um, and. There is a a zero tolerance policy adopted in in many American cities for drug use, um, drug um, dealing, and drug possession. In um, LA, the police chief there, Darrell Gates, said that casual drug users should be taken out and shot. And um, there is a typical example of, of the thinking of the time. Um, launched a, a project called Dare, which was um, uh, taken on nationwide, uh, which was based around zero tolerance of drug use. Um, it's there was no um, evidence as to its efficacy, um, as there often one with these um, um, kind of pilot initiatives. But it was rolled out nationwide, probably because it sounded good. And drug policies throughout nineteen eighties also have um, a, a knock-on effect on the development or on the, the uh, contagion of uh, HIV and AIDS, which becomes, in the second half of the 1980s, the other great moral panic of the decade. The um, US government and its 
helpers in the media had, by the end of the 1980s, brought about an astonishing change in public um, public ideas. In um, 1985, 2% of the population saw um, drugs as being the biggest problem in the States, but by 1989, it was, um, well, over two-thirds, it was... Um, coming up to uh, 66% um, of of the population, um, and who who see drugs as as, the, as this kind of monolithic crisis for America. But that was, of course, in an election year. And interestingly, the uh, figures of Americans polled who thought it was the worst problem in the states were 10% the year after. So um, it, that gives you a clue, really, doesn't it? I think the final point to make about the Reagan years, without going into studying Noriega, the CIA, shipments of drugs from um, South America to fund all sorts of wacky initiatives like um, equipping, you know, the uh, Taliban with Stinger missiles or trading missiles to Iran for the release of hostages or any of this kind of stuff. Um, is is the issue of the reason for um, America's involvement in Colombia. And again, this is the subject of another podcast, really. But it has a similarity with Britain's opium wars in China, um, in slightly a reversed way. The, the British wished to sell opium to China to address a balance of trade problem. The British uh, in the 1840s, 1830s, had um, been buying lots of silk and tea and other nice things from China, and the Qing emperors had said to the British, well, we don't want any of your manufactured goods, which is, you know, Britain's comparative advantage and the thing it sells around the world in order to afford all sorts of nice luxuries. This left the British with a big problem. There was a huge outflow of wealth from Britain to China um, to pay for, you know, tea and silk and other things. And so in order to get money flowing the other way again, opium was the trick. Now, in the 1980s, in about 1983, when the Reagan government realised how much money was leaving Miami and other American cities uh, for Colombia, they realised that it was well worth their efforts becoming involved uh, in uh, the uh, destruction of the Medellin cartel, which eventually happens uh, by the early 1990s. By this point, by the time the Americans be- decided to get involved, the many of the uh, cartel's own um, sicarios and killers had uh, decamped to Miami and were shooting it out in the streets. It wasn't the gun battles in the streets of Miami that really affected um, American policy. It was the balance sheets when observed in, in Washington. Uh, but it was the intervention of America in Colombia and the demand by the uh, American government for extradition that sparks um, a civil war in Colombia um, that is interestingly fought for the first time between a government and a private individual, that being obviously Pablo Escobar. There's a really interesting bit in The Age of Extremes by Eric Hobsbawm when he points out that one of the, intru- one of the more curious features of the 20th century 
is for the first time you have criminality becoming a, a global phenomena and largely due to the uh, the war on drugs and you have um, criminals criminal networks uh, being able to challenge states perhaps like weaker states uh, like Colombia um, for again for the first time so the war on drugs itself and the development of the, the global narcotics business is a, a, a massive structural part of the 20th and the 21st centuries. Something that uh, requires an immense amount of exploration and can um, easily be uh, accidentally dismissed as just one of these uh, trivial um, side effects, trivial sort of side uh, features. Um, of our time, but it's definitely not. You know, the the use of drugs on a mass scale, the mass in, mass intoxication of entire populations. I mean, obviously, alcohol is the main one, but um, well, mass intoxication now of large percentages of the population, shall we say, uh, through um, narcotics, various um, has all sorts of profound social, economic, cultural and political questions attached to it uh, in the way that we see um, not just you know, the 21st century unfolding in front of us, but the, the, the decades from the 60s onwards. Anyway, this has gone on far too long, so I'm going to finish there and I'm going to put some uh, related video stuff uh, to the war on drugs onto the YouTube channel um, later on this week and also some stuff about the gold standard. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.